Welcome to Deal Shredders. We are your hosts, David and Greg. We are local Nashville investors, cash buyers, and real estate agents who love to analyze your deals. Guys, Deal Shredders, is this an episode? This is a special edition, isn't it? Special edition. With our good buddy, Mr. Matthew Anderson, Toro title, and now introducing Anderson Legal, right? Yeah, yeah. Dude, Just recently started my own law firm. I'm pretty, I'm pretty pumped about it. Not gonna lie. Man, well, be pumped. Tell us about it. Like, what is this? So, I all right. Let's just start back. So, we know you're part owner of Toro Title, right? So, tell us you have Toro Title. Tell us about that, and then tell us about the difference and what Legal Anderson Legal is doing. Just go through the. Yeah, yeah. So basically, the way we've got Toro Title set up is, you know, we do closings, you know, we can do some legal related services like prepare deeds and notes and deeds of trust and things like that. Uh, but Toro is a title and escrow services company. And so Anderson Legal is a law firm. So anything that comes in that requires actual legal representation, that goes through the firm. And I've been representing um, clients primarily in real estate and construction, um, you know, a lot of litigation and disputes for a while now. And so just, just now doing it on my own, I'm with my own firm. So congrats, dude. That's exciting. That's yeah. Awesome. I got another attorney coming with me and, and, uh, you know, I'm really far as, like doing stuff for other builders. Like what, what do you mean specifically? Like, is there like, what could happen? Yeah. <laughs> like, Really? That could be a whole nother, a whole nother special uh, course. <laughs> but, but basically, a lot of what I'm doing is construction and real estate disputes. So, uh, you know, contractor builds a house and the property owner's not happy with the construction or there's problems with construction, allegedly, you know, and there's a, a dispute about that that sometimes does and sometimes doesn't go to court. And then similarly, there's a lot of disputes that can arise in real estate too, you know, breach of contract disputes misrepresentation disputes, disputes with real estate agents, uh, home inspectors. So those are, those are a lot of the things I'm dealing with. And then we also do transactional work, like preparing construction contracts and real estate. JV contracts, stuff with contractors in between. Okay. Operating agreements. Um, Yeah. So, you know, we were, we could do other things too, but that's, that's what What we're what about investors? I mean, do do investors ever ask you like, hey, do you have like a purchase and sale or assignment contract I can use? Do you do oh, some yeah. stuff like that all the time, right? All the time, all the time. So, yeah. And, uh, you know, I think it's a little unique because as you guys know, we've, we've talked a lot as investors, friends, you know, so I think that gives me a pretty unique perspective on things because when people come and talk to me, I know what it's like to flip the house and do a wholesale. Right. And in all these different things, because Taylor and I have our real estate business we've been running for years. Sure. So you're, we're working from experience yeah. for sure. Cool. Okay. So tell us a little bit, what does uh, Anderson Legal do then? But well, that's Anderson Legal. So that's yeah, basically that's, it then, right? Yeah. yeah. Any sort of, any legal representation where I'm hey. acting in the capacity of a lawyer representing clients. Awesome. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, uh, we kind of put this together because you know, we're both on the Ren group and people ask questions and, and this comes up all the time and all the same people chime in. It's the same oh, back and forth. Yeah. 
<laughs> and you know um everybody just wants to know like the differences and why you put your properties in an llc and why you don't sure. um, i and i do not personally and that you know everybody's like wants to know why you know i want to hear from you first i'm sure. like you know so i'm an investor let's just pretend you know a lot of the people that are asking are usually beginning their investment journey like within the first maybe three to five years right Right, right. So I'm an investor. I'm buying a single family home or a duplex. I have a primary residence and I have a W-2 job. What do I do? Well, so, I mean, like general big picture, the way I think about this typically is cost versus risk, right? So, you know, if all you have is your personal residence and you've got a W-2 job and, and let's say you're getting into investing and, and maybe, you know, maybe I'll do a flip this year or maybe I'll buy my first rental this year then it's probably a little premature to get too carried away with um, creating LLCs. It's, it's way too early to, to buy a guru course and get like a Wyoming LLC with, you know, you know do all this crazy stuff. Um, so that's kind of the way I think about it is it's going to be uh, the actual answer to this question is going to be dependent on each person's situation. So we can talk about um, different reasons you should or shouldn't have it. But at the end of the day, it's going to depend on your personal situation. And I should probably preface all this by saying this isn't legal advice. And right. this is your opinion. Today. We're just having oh, a conversation, guys. Yeah, but look, on that note, you know, people have questions. So if you're hearing something on here, you have a question. We're not going to answer it right away. Put it in the comments. We'll get back to you. We're probably going to go through at the end. So, yeah. If there, so you you step the stage. How do you think we you know, how would you like to explain this? Well, sure. I mean, I guess um, maybe the first thing to do is just kind of explain the, like, what is the point and kind of premise. Of, what is an LLC really yeah. mean? What is an yeah. LLC and what are the, like, besides an LLC, what else can I do? What are my other options? Yeah. So, I mean, generally the idea of entities and LLC is just a form of entity. You can create a corporation um, or a limited liability companies is very similar to a corporation, but it's more flexible. So it's, it's usually the preferred route to go for investors for most of the time and talk to your CPA always, but. Um, right, because so, there's two different sides of this. There's the liability side, which you deal with. Exactly. And then there's the, the financial side, which there's pros and cons to corporations Absolutely. and LLCs and sole mm -hmm. proprietorships and general partnerships. Right. On a national level, you know, with what we deal with, with like our, our taxes with the government and then also on state and local levels because you have state taxes Tennessee, we have a franchise and excise tax versus, you know. And that's the big thing, the extra fees. Sure. sure. What yeah. is the franchise excise tax and what responsibilities do you have to do every year? Yeah. So you'll have to, you know, you got to pay about 300 bucks to form the entity and then you got to do your annual filings and, and deal with the franchise and excise tax. And if you talk to a good uh, CPA like Clinton Hauser, who I use and and he'll talk to you about the fonts exemption. So there can be ways to, to avoid certain costs and things like that. But, you know, I always recommend, if somebody calls me and they say, hey, I wanna create an entity and do this. Um, first thing I ask them is, have you talked to your CPA about this yet? And if they say no, I'm, I say, well, I don't wanna waste your money. Why don't you talk to your CPA first? So just always the first question yeah. because we have to stress again, like it is very personal specific. For sure. You know, and it's like the timing and what the exit strategy is also like and who's involved. Right. Because when you're getting started in investing, what you don't realize is 
is the more entities or the more complicated you make either the deal or the structure, the more people grab a portion of the pie at the end of the day. Sure, sure. Well, if something, uh, yeah. if something goes wrong or whatever else, you don't file your annual reports on time. I mean, there's, there's fees mm -hmm. and money and then there's lawyers have to help you out CPAs. Like not to say that they're not valuable. It's, it's knowing the best situation, you know? Absolutely. And I was so talking, oh, well, I was just going to say on that note, I was talking to a buddy this morning about this and he had all these cool ideas, like all this complicated stuff to do so he can be anonymous and have all these different layers. And us, you know, I said, well, you got to understand the more layers you put in here, the more complex this is, the more costly it is and the harder it is to do it correctly. Right. So it's always going to be, you know, the answer to this question is going to be very different for somebody who has $10 million in real estate than someone who has 1 million than someone who has $50,000 in equity. Right. So it's, it's very specific to your situation. Sure. And it's, and I think the question that I've changed my opinion over the last few years is like, if you're trying to be secretive with all the entities, mm -hmm. why? Um, not to say that liability protection is not a valuable thing, but it's okay. What are you trying to protect? And the reason behind it is, are these a bunch of rentals that you want to pass on to your kids and you're trying to put them in a trust or whatever, or is <laughs> like, you're just trying to be secretive to be secret. Like, and well, and that's a good point that you brought about being secretive. So like doing due diligence on a contractor, it's like how many LLCs has this contractor had in the past few years? Because sure. if you're seeing, it should be one. <laughs> you know, if you're seeing a different one, like every year or two years, you know that they're like, okay, I'm going to put that behind and start here. I'm going to put the, so they're kicking the, they're kicking the tire down the road, you know? Yeah. Red flag for sure. For sure. Yeah. So I hope that's a really good point. I hope we can get into, you know, anonymity and why you want to kind of keep, you know, if we have time, that's something I'd like to get into today. Yeah, we got, we'll have, we'll definitely have time. So just starting back over with like the beginning investor, like, so you're, you know, I want to buy a duplex, you know, my primary residence is 250. My duplex and fend 200,000 is going to cash flow 300 bucks a month. Sure. Well, so talk to your CPA. Like I said, you definitely want to do that first. And then you also, here's the other thing too. You need to talk to your lender, right? How are you getting the lending on this property? because that could determine a lot of things as well. You may have some issues trying to buy this in an entity, depending on your lender and what they're requiring. So you wanna to talk to the, both of those categories of people first and know what you can, you know, know what your need, your plan right. is on that end. So uh, let's just say- Even yeah. then, let's say it's your first duplex. I'm not gonna be super concerned with your first duplex if there's not a ton of equity in there. Um, can you do it? Is it probably wise to go ahead and start that good practice and, and have it if you plan to grow your real estate business? I think absolutely. Uh, but the amount of protection you need is going to be directly proportional to the risk you have. Sure. So until you have more equity at risk, it's not as big of a concern. Okay. Because what you're really trying to do is you're trying to protect your assets. Right. If you own a duplex with $20,000 in equity, there's not really much to protect. Yeah. So you want to check the cash value. Yeah. Right. Right. So what if, you know, David and I, we work together. We both have W2 jobs. We each have $10,000. Sure. We want to buy a duplex together and we're going to manage it. He's going to manage it. So now do I do a joint venture? Do I do an LLC? Do I do a general partnership? Well, why would I want to do, what would I want to do and why? Yeah, I mean, it's going to depend a little bit, I guess, on 
some of the details. So for example, are you guys going to work together and, and do this again on other houses, you know, or is this a one-time thing? Um, again, I don't know if it is, you know, I, I just want to get my feet wet and just have a house. Yeah. So what, I mean, what I would do is I'd sit down with you guys. We have a bunch of questions, you know, kind of game plan out, maybe things y'all hadn't thought about, maybe things you already have thought about and probably one of two things, uh, you know, could be one of three things, either a joint venture for just this project, a general partnership for, for more projects down the road, or we just go ahead and set y'all up with the LLC as a multi-member LLC and get a good operating agreement in place. Or we just put both of our names on title if it's going to, you know, depending on how we want to do that as well. Yeah, you could, you could. Um, usually not what I would recommend for somebody who has uh, assets. Right. Well, so I guess let's, so I'd love to hear the pros and cons to each one of those approaches from like, hey, no entity, Greg and I are just going on title. So we're going to buy 123 Jones Street and it's going to be titled 50, 50 as David Morgan and Greg Ferrichelli both own this. What does that do for us, if anything? Yeah, so if you're just going on, if you going on title and you're both on it and you're going to share the profits, presumably. So in Tennessee, if two people or more people are entering into a business or buying properties or flipping, uh, what you probably have is a general partnership. And in a general partnership, you have joint and several liability. So what that means is anything Greg does on behalf of y'all's operations or anything Dave does on, on behalf of y'all's operation, the other person is completely liable if it's within the scope of that business arrangement. So if you guys don't know each other that well, um, I know y'all know each other pretty well, but I have people come in who, who don't know each exactly. other at all. Exactly, it's just they know somebody who has a little bit of cash, right? And they're, and they're trying to just figure out a way to do the deal and that's fine. And again, if you don't have a lot of assets, you have a lot less risk. But if this stranger is going out and making misrepresentations to sellers or doing some sorts of things that can bring liability along with it, you, there's a really good chance you're getting, bring, you're getting brought right along with it and your assets are at risk for the acts and omissions of that person. So what if we own a duplex together, but I have all these other properties, right? Sure. That property down there is a new construction project and I am way over budget. The market is like softening. I'm not going to be able to refi. And now I have to find a way to liquidate or I have, now I'm going to have a bunch of liens coming on this property. What risk is David have? Uh, you're talking about just for... So how is my financial picture, my mistakes affect David? Does it, does it affect David? If we're both just on title with our names, like... With just, one property or two properties. The first thing I want to look at is what you signed with the lender, um, because that could implicate things. So in other words, if you're, if you got a general partnership and you're owning this property together, then there could be some things in your deed of trust, in your note, that talks about uh, if one partner goes bankrupt, for example, or becomes insolvent. So that's something you're gonna have to think about. Um, as far as just, if, if one of the partners is having financial trouble, but there's no liability or lawsuits, then that's usually not gonna impact the partnership for the most but part. Let's say Greg gets sued on one of his properties that I'm not a part yeah, of. Yeah, I'm getting sued right now, say, million dollars. Million dollars. Well, the big problem you can have is the creditor could go after the property, right? If, if right. you don't have enough assets. So then at that point, my stake in the property is at risk because he's getting sued because we just have- So if I have to liquidate, he gets 50-50, but he may not have a choice to not liquidate. 
Right. See, you know, your partnership interest is what they'd be going after. But all of a sudden now Dave's in a really bad spot because Dave planned to partner with you, not with your bank that you owe money to. Yeah. So then what's okay. So for that's the first level where I'm exposed, both sides are exposed to whatever liability, potentially something goes bad. What would be the next level of, I guess, protection or that you would advise? Cause that's like, like you said, a general partnership. Yeah. Well, and sometimes a partnership makes sense. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't make sense to create an entity and put an operating agreement in a place, but that's the next step. Is what you would put, be an example of it making sense? Uh, well, let's say that um, me, I, I just met this contractor and we're going to buy this property and wholetail it in a month from now. And we only expect to make $15,000 you know, maybe a situation like that where you're hiring a real estate agent, there's not really much risk. Less legal fees, basically. Yeah, you just throw your names on there and be done with it and get paid at the end. I've done general partnerships before. You know, there's anybody that tells you that one thing fits all doesn't either doesn't know what they're talking about or they're trying to sell you something. Sure. So if somebody comes and they say a land trust is what you need to put all your property in and, and that's the blanket statement, they're just wrong right? Land trust can be phenomenal. And the phrase is misused a lot. But that's something that gets sold a lot as if it's like a blanket uh, way to do business. And all these things you need to, you need to understand how these pieces fit with what you've got going on personally, or in the, uh, the, the people you're working with. So let's, let's say that Greg and I are like, cool, let's buy this duplex together. We, but we don't want to do a general partnership because I got a bunch of construction stuff going on. Greg's got a bunch of stuff going on. And we are like, hey, if something goes wrong, we want this asset to be a little bit more protected. And we go, hey, Matt, what would you recommend? You're probably going to want to do an LLC as your next first step. Now, we can talk about, you know, coming up with a bigger scheme or using trust or using multiple layers of LLCs. Um, there's other options, but the first step next step is usually going to be to put that into a two-member LLC and put together an operating agreement, get a tax ID number, open up separate bank accounts, and have a separate entity. So what protection does that provide normally as long so, as everything's done appropriately? So the, the basic idea is you're protecting your personal assets from the assets of the company or from the liability of the company and you're protecting your company's assets from the liability of the people. So if somebody sues me or sues Greg or I declare bankruptcy or something, technically whatever's tied up in that LLC should be separate entirely in theory. Right, right, exactly. And so actually, can I do a little share screen and see if I can make this be work? my guest. For sure. We'll, we'll have some fun. If it doesn't work, I apologize, but it no, could be, it might be useful. I like visuals, so this would be good. Did it work? Yeah. Looks like we got a, a white, a white screen. screen. Yeah, perfect, perfect. So let's see, um, I apologize because I'm drawing with my finger. So <laughs> let's see. All right, so we got Dave up here, right? Love it. You see Dave? Yeah. And bear with me, like I said, I'm doing uh, I'm doing this with my finger. So Dave, he's got. Let's say Dave's got a flipping business, and then he's got some rentals, right? Mm -hmm. But Dave also has his house, 
his car over here. Uh, let's say he's got some money in the bank, right? But Dave wants to do his flipping business and his rental business. So he decides I'm going to create an LLC over here. And this is where I'm going to do my flipping operations out of. So, and he says, I'm going to go over here. I'm going to create another LLC. And this is where I'm going to hold my rentals, right? I've got five rentals. Let's say I've got, you know, $200,000 in equity. I'm going to put these over here. So this is LLC2 um, for rentals, right? So the general premise of why LLCs are, are so awesome is for one thing, relatively, they're not that expensive and the formalities are not that overwhelming. So um, this box, let's say these boxes are all the business that these LLCs did. So this, uh, this LLC one over here, it's Dave's flipping houses. And all these activities are over here in this box. And the rental side, all the rental activities over in this box. So if, uh, if something bad happens in the flipping business over here to the left and a plaintiff lawyer you know, gets involved because someone gets hurt or there's an accident, plaintiff lawyer over here, he's going to try to attack Dave. But since Dave has this LLC, the only thing he's going to be able to go after is this right here. Uh, barring fraud or some other circumstances. So if he tries to go after Dave's house or Dave's money, or if he tries to go after Dave's rentals, then Dave's going to call me and I'm going to say, no, we're not going to let this happen, Dave. And um, we're going we're gonna to prevent that from happening, right? So he's going to be cut off. And basically all he's going to be able to come after is the assets within the flipping business. And so here's a quick question. Yeah. If that's the case that I can only go after one LLC, why do I not have five LLCs for five rentals so they can only come after one? Well, some people do that. Some people do that. Some people would do, instead of putting these five over here, they'd have six LLCs. Um, but, you know, like we were talking about earlier. But that's super expensive to do that. Expensive. you got to deal with extra bank accounts. And so it's a balancing act, right? It's it's a, uh, it's, it's a balancing it's act. Like maybe you have five single family homes in an LLC, but you have one apartment building in another because you don't want to mingle those two together. Right. Well, and then the other thing people don't think about a lot either is uh, people. So there's two sides to asset protection. This is what we call um, internal asset protection because uh, you're protecting yourself and your other businesses from, from the things happening within the business. Right. But the other thing you got to think about is let's pretend that Dave gets rear ends somebody and somebody supposedly gets a bad neck injury, um, you know, and an ambulance chaser picks this person up and they want to come after Dave for everything he's got. Well, that guy's going to have, that plaintiff lawyer is going to, you know, he's going to be going after Dave. I don't know why I got all thick and weird like that, but um, he's going to be going after Dave, but he's not going to be able to go after these LLCs. So Dave is going to be protected in that regard too, because now his rentals should be safe. And this is why, this is why Matt, that people put sometimes their primary residence and trusts and different things like that. So they can even do more asset protection. So if something happens like that. So should you put, should everybody just put their primary in a trust in that case? Well, so. You what know, does that even mean? Yeah. What does that mean? So there's different kinds of trusts. See the problem with trusts are, a lot of times that, you know, gurus or other people, they come in and they just talk about trust as if it's just one, like there's one way to do a trust trust. And 
so there's there's all kinds of different trusts and we probably can't get into all the details, but one of the main benefits of trust can be in estate planning, right? So you're trying to pass on wealth and assets to um, usually your kids. So that, but that's a different kind of trust uh, usually than what investors are typically doing. Investors are typically using what we're calling a, a grantor revocable trust, which I think is what's called a People are calling land trust most of the time, but those are different. There's a different kind of uh, asset protection going on there. There's a, uh, they're the same in that you have a grantor and a trustee and a beneficiary, but other than that, they're different. And so the, the main thing that trusts have been used for is anonymity, because most of the time when you have a grantor, revocable trust. And I see this all the time. People don't ask my advice and they just put their name on as the, sometimes they'll put their name on as the grantor, the trustee and the beneficiary, right? You're not really getting any asset protection at all, right? And you're actually not even getting any anonymity because I can just look you up and see where you signed your documents, right? So it's basically worthless. Um, so, I guess long story short is trust can be a great tool if you if you use them the right way for the right reasons. Gotcha. Okay. So a, a good example of where you, somebody might want to use um, the kind of trust I see a lot in an effective way is a they have a trust and the beneficiary is their LLC and their attorney is their trustee, right? So now they've got a pretty strong anonymity because you go to look up who owns the property or what's going on, you just see the attorney's name as trustee, right? And then you don't know who the beneficiary is in the public record. You would have to go into litigation and discovery to figure that out at that point. Sure. Okay. So. So what about someone that, like, so I don't have LLCs and I have multiple rentals and. Sure. New construction. I have everything's in my name. Primary, new construction, dirt sitting out there, everything in my name. I do have a policy, an insurance umbrella policy that covers all yeah. of my liability. So I feel like I'm protected. What is my risk? Well, um, I'm glad you brought that up because the two the two biggest myths I hear, and I'm going to call it a myth because I feel pretty strongly about it. The two biggest myths that I hear the most are, um, number one, uh, well, this might be number one, actually, the one you're talking about now, is that I got an umbrella policy, so an LLC is worthless, right? Because the umbrella policy takes care of me. That's probably that and a solo LLC or single member LLC is worthless are probably the two biggest myths I hear. So yeah, here's why that's not true. I would love to hear about the single member because that's all my business. Right. <laughs> so uh, here's why the umbrella policy is not true. Now, don't get me wrong. It's amazing that you have the umbrella policy in your, in your insurance policies because that's a huge protective measure for you. Um, and that's going to help you most of the time. But here's, here's the problem. Usually when you get an umbrella policy, what you are doing essentially is increasing your coverage that you already have. And then sometimes you're extending it to other events, right? Um, but then a lot of times when you're extending it to other events, you're having a high deductible. So for example, let's say you have a homeowner's policy and you've got rental policy for your rentals, which is great. 
And maybe you even have a general policy too for your commercial, right? Mm -hmm. So that's awesome. You're covered in a lot of different areas. And then you've got an umbrella policy that maybe increases your limits on those. Yeah. And, and maybe, you know, sometimes it'll include extra things that's not in your other policies, which is great. Um, but like I said, there's high deductibles that come with those a lot of times. And here's the other thing. Um, there's a lot of things that probably are not covered. So that's, that's from my perspective, there's a couple big problems with it. Number one is uh, there's a lot of things that probably are not covered. And every time I have this discussion with someone, um, usually there, I ask them a question, which is, your insurance is awesome and that's gonna protect you from a lot of stuff, but you, do you know what it doesn't protect you from? And usually nobody knows the answer to that, right? Like usually nobody knows what are the things I'm not covered for. Um, and the main one that happens, cause you're in the real estate, you know, people are in the real estate business, they're investors, is it's usually not gonna protect you from breach of contract. And it's usually not gonna protect you from misrepresentation claims which are the two most common claims I see in real estate. Okay, so here's a wonderful question. I have E&O insurance as an agent. Does my E&O cover any of that? It might, if you're, so it, your E&O insurance is gonna cover you for errors and omissions that happen while you're acting as a real estate agent. Right, so, so what no if transactions. I'm, so not when you're wholesaling probably. Correct, <laughs> so here's the difference. Like if you're not, if you're not using TAR forms, you're, and that's a risk too for people who do, who do use their own contracts is your E&O, if you're an agent, does not, it is not covered. I already know that. Oh yeah. And let me tell you, if you think the insurance company is just going to say, oh, hey, you know, we don't think there's coverage, but we're going to pay anyways. Oh, you're, no, no, you're on the other, you know, you're on the other side of that. Yes, they're going to do everything they can to deny your coverage because it saves them a lot of money. Um, but See, here's the other thing, though, that people don't think about is if you have, um, let's say you own everything in your own personal name and you have lots of insurance. And if, for some plaintiff's lawyers, you're essentially painting a target on your back because, and this is, you know, kind of, I see this from the litigation side because this is mainly what I do. I got people coming in my office and they're asking me, should I file suit, right? I think this guy... Um, I think this guy is liable to me for $50,000. I want you to sue this person for me. Well, I'm going to assess how strong the claim is, whether it's a good plaintiff, you know, whether this could get dismissed or not, all that kind of thing. But another big part of the equation is, um, am I going to be able to sue this individual and am I going to be able to collect against this person? That's a huge factor when I'm first helping somebody with the case. And so if I look you up in about five minutes and can see, well, actually, can I do a show you real quick what I do? Of Only a couple minutes. Because if you go on the tax records, you could yeah. type in somebody's name or business or whatever. And you, yeah, can, you can put my name in. Um, so I'm going to uh, pop up. I can just do a, fake, a random. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm going to look to see if anybody's asked any questions while you're doing all that stuff. Oh, uh, let me see. How do I just do share screen? Here we go. Tell me if this works. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So this is just, a, you could go on parcel viewer you can go on assessor's website. It's so easy to find out. Um, I'm all, this is Matthew Anderson. It's not me, but um, 
it's super easy to find out, okay, I'm suing Matthew Anderson. Here we go. I found out that Matthew Anderson owns 1500 Market Square. Yeah, you right? find out where he lives and everything. Yeah. And, you know, I've got, if, if he happened to own, you know, 10 other properties, they would all pop up right here in Davidson County. And then I could just search, you know, if he owns property in other counties, I could find that in another minute or two, right? So I have my pair, and I could, not only that, I can have my paralegal do this, right? She can go down there and write all this stuff down for me. Because this is all public information. There's uh -huh. no special access you need no. to get any of this. No, it's super easy. And so um, you can see how easy that is. And then I can go over here. Let me see. I got the register of deeds here somewhere. Here we go. Register of deeds. There's Matthew Anderson, right? And so look, there's the deed of trust. Like this all takes minutes. And um, I open the deed of trust. It shows me they bought it in 2012, right there, right here. And it shows me they got a loan out for 130. So I know what they paid for it. I know when they bought it. I know what the loan got, they got on it all in about five minutes. And the important part of that is as a plaintiff's lawyer, oh crap, this house is worth $300,000 today. They probably have six figures in equity in this house. So, um, you can assess what that person's net worth is. And if you sue them for 50 grand, there's a good chance that if you win, they're going to be able to pay or have to figure out a way in which to pay by selling property or something. Yeah, absolutely. Because if I get a judgment, I can record that at the Registry of Deeds office and they can't sell that house without writing me a $50,000 check. So, um, you know, a judgment is only worth what you can actually collect. So if I've got a $100,000 judgment against um, Bob, the contractor, but he goes to Florida and he doesn't have any assets, that $100,000 judgment's not actually worth that much, you, you know? And so, um, you know, alternatively, if I were to, here's a, here's a random LLC, right? Alternatively, if this, this person, I don't know who this is, but let's say this is Matthew Anderson too. I'm not gonna know that very, very easily, right? I'm not gonna know to look for Big Ten LLC, so there's a little bit of privacy right off the bat, but then even if I um, go in here, um, is this, yeah, this is it. So even if I go in here, uh, I can't figure out who owns this. I don't even know who's in this entity. And if I look them up on the Secretary of State website, uh, I've got that over here somewhere. You may be able to find who the registered agent is and where they're Correct addresses and maybe where the personal address is. Yeah. That's not guaranteed because that could be a nope. lawyer. Exactly. Right. So in this example, we're talking about a single member LLC over here, but they've got Bob Notenstein. He's a lawyer friend of mine and he's the registered agent. So I have no idea who owns this entity. Yeah. So when they have an attorney as a registered agent, they're not going to be found pretty much unless you know the go to the attorneys. Well, you can find, you know, I could go extra steps and find them, but if I'm just doing my preliminary research, I'm not going to know that Matthew Anderson owns this property. No. And you're talking about a ton of extra work when you're yeah. trying to assess whether you can get a judgment and you're trying to figure out, hey, if this person has this stuff protected already and I start digging in, this is going to be an uphill battle. Right, exactly. And so I, that's kind of what I'm getting at is, um, you know, people don't think about that side of things, which is the privacy side of it, because privacy is usually the first line of defense. Because if somebody, you know, is going to a car wreck lawyer's office and they're trying to figure out, well, am I ever going to get any money from this person, even if I win? 
they're going to pull you up and they're going to see, does he own any property? Does he have equity? Um, you know, those, those kinds of things are going to determine whether they file suit. And another big one is, is their insurance a lot? Um, a lot of times cases are either filed or not filed based on whether the person has insurance because that insurance company is always going to be able to write a check. Right. So just some things that, that people don't always talk about, you know, there's a lot of other things to think about and other, other reasons to have uh, these protections in place. Cool. Well, dude, if people I know are going to have questions and they want to get a hold of you, how do they do that? Uh, just shoot me an email at matt at torotitle.com. Cool. Or go to torotitle.com. We'll make sure that Matt is in here, matt at torotitle.com. <laughs> or I guess they could also reach out to you at what, matt at andersonlegaltn.com? Yeah, yeah. Cool, fellas. Well, Matt, it was a lot of information. I, I think that you've touched on a lot of points. Um, we appreciate you being on. Dave, do you have anything left? No, I mean, Matt, I'll be in touch. I got some other questions I want to ask you about some other business stuff, but we'll do it on the side. Okay, probably smart. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, we appreciate it again, Matt, with Toro Title, Anderson Legal, and David Morgan, guys. I'll see y'all later. Guys, have a good weekend. Y'all have a wonderful day.